Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us on the show today is Nadia Edwards Dashti, Chief Customer Officer of Harrington Stall, podcast host of FinTech with Nadia, the diversity, equity, and inclusion discussions, as well as the newly minted author of FinTech Women Walk the Talk moving the needle for workplace gender equality in financial services and beyond. A very, very warm welcome to the show, Nadia. Um, thank you so much for having me today. This is a such a privilege. and I'm super excited to talk to you about everything today. And many thanks to our mutual friend, Lida, who connected us. So I had no idea how come we didn't know each other way before, but, you know, voila, here we are. Uh, before we start, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you end up co-founding Harrington Star Group? Yeah, I'd love to. So um, I think it's really important to, you know, go back before you go forward so you can just sort of understand how someone's got to where they are today. But in 2005, I started in the world of recruitment. Um, I'd finished a master's at UCL and I'd said to myself, right, you have until Christmas to get yourself a job. And I, I honestly didn't really know what I wanted to do. I applied for so many different things. And uh, by accident, I walked into an interview for a recruitment job, not really realizing that I was applying for a recruitment job. Um, and the uh, the recruiter for that prepared me saying, just just talk about candidates and clients. And, and I said, I don't know what you're talking about but somehow I got through the interview and I was really enamored by the thought of helping people find jobs in this awesome awesome industry of financial services technology so I've been in this space since 2005 um, I grew I grew in my confidence I grew in my ability over the years um, and um, by the time we get to 2010, I had the opportunity to co-found Harrington Star with my now CEO, Toby Babb, um, and CEO of our sister company, James Hounslow. And what an opportunity that was, because we looked at the recruitment sector and we thought we'd love to do this our way um, and really drive things forward with things that we're passionate about. Anyone that knows me, I am super passionate about really, really driving authentic, real, genuine inclusion, not just the, you know, the awards that, that you know, no one backs up with, but, you know, people that day in, day out want to make this industry and any industry better and better for everybody. Um, and, you know, if we go back to 2010, when we founded Harrington Star, no one was speaking about diversity, equity and inclusion. These were not words that people used within financial services, technology or fintech. Um, but the wonderful thing that's happened over the, the last few years is that people are now very staff focused. They understand the importance of retaining their staff and building great environments for their staff. And more importantly, in the wonderful world of fintech, the mindset needs to be agile, needs to be able to pivot, needs to be able to respond to whatever pressures that the, the industry may put on you. And this concept now of diversity of thoughts is is brilliant for inclusion because we want different backgrounds we want different opinions we want different perspectives so i'm so so happy to be a recruiter in this space because what i want to do is take that 
that excitement, that opportunity. I want to take it out there to the world to really attract people that would never, ever have considered fintech as a, as a job or as a career opportunity. And I want to try and persuade them to give us a chance and see if we can look after them and make them into the best that they could ever possibly be. So I'm really on a mission to you know, make, make it a better place. I love that. And and there's so much to like about our industry, isn't it? If you think about the premise of it is to help people use technology to make better financial decisions, to do smarter things, right? To do more with our money. And at the end of the day, money is a means to an end, whatever end that you're trying to get to. So it is a wonderful, wonderful place to be at. Now, Many congrats on the new book, Nadia. You just mentioned that in the very beginning. Um, for our listeners who might not be familiar with it, can you walk us through what the book is about? I love the title, Walk the Thank Talk. Um, it's it's something I, I can feel. It's in your passion. I can literally see it. Um, and, and what inspired you to write? Because it's a different format than what we normally see, isn't it? Absolutely. So, um after founding Harrington Star in 2010, I, I became much more vocal about what is needed within the industry to really support people to be the best that they can be. From a recruitment standpoint, what I was trying to do is to explain to people that my job isn't just attracting people to this industry, it's keeping them here. Because what's the point if you, know, you attract people at the same rate that they leave? Um, so I started going to different events and talking about um, the great things that certain fintechs were doing to make their environment really, really um, genuinely inclusive for their people and really thriving for, for learning and investment and support. And um, one of the talks that I was at, um, someone asked me, so what do you do to raise awareness of, of different people and, and diverse people within this industry and women within this industry? And I answered the question, but I thought to myself, wow, I really should be doing more. And this was sort of August 20, um, 2018. And that was when I decided I'm going to start doing a podcast series. And that podcast series was the women of fintech. Um, and very quickly, I knew I had something super special on my hands because these women that I interviewed, they told me about their career journeys, their highs, their lows, their struggles, their challenges, how they overcame them. You know, it wasn't just look at this C-level member of member of staff that happens to be a woman. It was how did she get there? And an honest, an honest appraisal of it wasn't easy. It's it's difficult, and there are challenges, and there isn't a level playing field. But still, there's loads of opportunity. And then, what can we do to level this playing field? So, I was super inspired by these awesome women telling me all their stories. Um, and you know, by the time I'd recorded a hundred of these podcasts, I thought to myself, "This is so special. I need more people to hear these stories." And not everybody listens to podcasts. And I'm a true believer in, um, you know, some, some of the more old school things. You know, when was the last time you had a handwritten letter sent to you? If you had one sent to you now, you're going to read it, right? You know, so I, I quite like the, you know, the age old art of, you know, opening a book and, and having a story be told to you and a story that you can relate to because, you know, you, you want, you, you want to identify with somebody else in the industry that's gone through these issues. So, 
I started writing the book and it's called Fintech Women Walk the Talk, Moving the Needle for Gender, Gender Equality, Financial Services and Beyond. And the reason why the title is that is because even though it started as a celebration of women within the industry and a, a raising of awareness of representation, it became something more than that. And actually what this book represents now is a how-to guide for anybody in the industry or looking to join the industry or in their own industry to look around and drive change for gender equality. So a CEO of any organization could pick up this book and go, right, these are the fundamental things I need to change to ensure that I'm more inclusive within my within my policies, practices and procedures. You could have um, a junior member of staff in a legal firm pick up this book and think, okay, I now know how to better represent myself, but also what I should be saying to my boss to try and drive inclusion here to really enhance diversity of thought. And you know what? It's not me giving the advice. It's the 118 women of fintech that I quoted within this book. And that's what's quite unique about the book because no one before me has written a book on on their podcast that they've recorded using the podcast quotes as heavily as as I have. So you do often see this in um, in short articles like Forbes really like to write their articles with with lots of different quotes from um, from big names within the industry that they're celebrating. But you don't often well, you've never seen it before 118 in a book. Um, and I wanted to celebrate them, but also have everyone listen to what they were saying. So this is uh this is how the book came about and it's been such a wonderful journey for me on a personal level because it was so difficult it's the most difficult thing i've done in my life to write this book but also the most rewarding because you know recruitment is about advocating for people um and and i really feel that these amazing women or inspiring women I've actually advocated for their voices to be listened to at another level and I feel really, really proud of that. What a, what a wonderful story. It reminds me of how our book came about too. We wrote it during COVID. Um, and it's about business models of different companies, large and small financial services and outside of financial services on how they're using different ways of thinking um, to, to do a better job for people, for the climate, for things that we don't think about. And one of the approach that we took was similar to yours. We had a lot of guests from our podcast and we tapped into them we tapped into what they did we tapped into what they talked about and we included their voices in our book so much so that we ended up cutting out ten thousand words of our own wow yeah to include their names and and what they said um because we felt strongly about it right if people spent time with you to tell you their story it's our privilege and it's also our responsibility to tell the story and to make sure their voices are heard. So I love what you did and it's it's wonderful. Now I know why Lita connected us. Um, <laughs> yeah. did it last year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so speaking of amazing women, the theme for this year, International Women's Day is, was, is break the bias. Now, 
as with years past, we see a lot of premises from corporates, empty premises, I would say a large amount of that, corporate slogans on how they are supporting women at the same time, of course, not really paying them their fair share. We look at the metrics, these things, they can be measured and it has barely moved. So what are we not doing right? And what would be some of your recommendations for organizations who are actually trying to do good and trying to drive positive change? I think that's a really important question um, and it's it's um, an answer that, that was going to take me a little bit of time just to answer correctly. So my view on this is that actually across the industry there's lots of businesses that are trying to drive forward inclusion and they're doing good things but they're doing pockets of good things. So I'll give you an example. Um, there are businesses that we will all have heard of who have now implemented shared parental leave. We know if we want to drive gender equality in the industry, having shared parental leave will mean that those middle managers with their with their often back backward thinking, I'm not saying all middle managers, but you know, let's let's um have have an idea of someone backward thinking that would be would be reticent to hire a woman because they're worried that she's going to go on maternity leave. How do we break that bias when we've put them through hours and hours of unconscious bias training? And actually this is about conscious bias training and education. But you know, it makes sense why that policy is is put in place. But no one's going to take it up. And why is that? Because the fictitious CEO of this organization has said out loud to one of the men, oh, you're not going to take that, are you? Are you serious about your career? And this is the reality of what happens day in, day out. And do you know what? The, these two fictitious people that I'm talking about, they're often not bad people. They're not the, um, the obvious uh, misogynistic uh, individuals or racist individuals that that you could easily say, well, that they're the reason why we're not. Often, they are people that don't even realize that their behavior is holding us back. They're often the people that put in the policies in the first place, but undermine those policies. Another example of this would be, um, you could have a company that has decided to apply for an award to be a DEI champion, for example, or an EDI champion, whichever of the phrases you use. And they win that award because they put a lot of money into their marketing team. But then they're the same company that says, why don't women stay with us? Is it because women like to move on quickly? And, you know, they, they ask me this and I say, no, it's not because women want to move on quickly. It's because you put out this great story of what, how wonderful your environment is. You think that you've completed the Rubik's Cube because you won an award for it. That's not what it's about. It's about making sure it's happening every single day. So I just wanted to give those two as examples because what is my solution? My solution isn't only apply for your awards, get your policies right, sort out your gender pay gap by having transparent pay, which I would always advise, um, introduce quotas in your recruitment process, ensure you have diverse interview panels, all these things I advise. But what I really, really think about, and this is what, what we, we spoke about in depth in the book, is all of those things are secondary. The primary foundational things we need to sort, I believe, is the success inclusion connection. And that is that you need the leaders and people in hiring positions within the organization to absolutely understand and live by 
the belief that without inclusion, the business will not be successful. And if we don't have that belief to begin with, then these individuals in, in power in the organization, the decision makers, put DE&I on a luxury item, which means everything falls apart because they may have wonderful policies for their um, for their hiring practices, but they will leave those policies really quickly when the hire is an urgent hire. And you see this all the time. They've got these wonderful programs in place, but then they say to me, oh no, Nadia, we, it's okay, we don't need to see that many women because this is an urgent hire. What? Like, <laughs> how, how have we just suddenly betrayed everything that we're doing? So it's a complex it's a complex question with a complex answer but actually i think we can really boil down the reality of it and it's got to be that success inclusion connection we must educate ourselves we must really focus on what this industry is about it's about being able to handle whatever the world is going to throw at us next and whatever the world's going to throw at us next you want all the opinions in the room to be able to handle that you want to be able to respond incredibly quickly and you know, when we think about the pandemic, I'm really proud of the way that the, the fintech community responded. Imagine if we had 50-50 parity of gender equality within, within the room, how quickly we could have responded. Now take that to, I don't want to say take that further, I, I want to say take that to fairness and, and, and actual equity. Let's have a room that's representative of our society from a fully diverse, diverse point of view, not just gender, but um, uh, ethnic backgrounds, ages, neurodiversity, um, LGBTQ+. We have to be really, really aware that you know our, our consumer needs will be reflected in our ability to understand them and who are we trying to sell to. So I think that there's some wonderful things you can implement, but get that foundation correct. Wow, I, I I I love that. It resonates so much because oftentimes we think about diversity in one dimensional sense, and there are so many, so many different aspects of diversity. And now we're starting to hear people talk about diversity in education, right? And that's also important because you can't just have tech people in designing tech solutions. You also need to understand how human operates and how human thinks and make decisions. And that part is important, especially when we're developing systems and products that impact people's money. Money is emotional, it's personal, right? So there are so many ways we need to think about diversity. And, and I love how you were saying that it needs to be tied to success. We need to believe in it in every bone that we have. I have had CEOs that told me, oh yeah, you know, diversity and inclusion is important for big companies, but you know, small companies, we need to get by what we can get and nope, we can't afford it. It is not a luxury item. So I, I, I cannot agree more. So while we're talking about changes and, and things, let's talk about the last two years. And this is something really interesting. I'm looking from afar because I've been working from home for quite a while now, but there is a huge push of companies trying to get people back to the office. Various reasons, right? Some we see from Wall Street who say, well, you know, that's how the fresh graduates learn because they learn better when they're in the same environment together in person with those who are more experienced. We also hear the push from local governments 
because they're worried the cities cannot respond to how people are not coming into the city for the office. And so they're worried about employment and, and all of that. But with all of those, though, employees are pushing back because we have all enjoyed the flexibility that we've come to enjoy the last two years. So there are so much going on, but what gets me worried the most is in the middle of all that, there's something we're forgetting. The people who can afford to go back to the office versus the people who have to stay back and work from home. And we're going to hopefully not, but most likely end up creating a wider gap and impacting women. How do you see that playing out in the next few years? I think it's it's really important the way that you've you've just laid out that question because it's not just a question, it's you know, it's an observation of what is happening right now. We've got to be open with our understanding of this. During the pandemic, it started with, you know, panic, <laughs> obviously. Then people started celebrating their ability, especially within the fintech space, their ability to transfer, you know, you know, when people used to say, well, traders have to be in because of security. Well, now people are trading from their kitchen. We made that work, you know. We then started celebrating seeing the real you, looking behind people's Zoom videos or Teams and saying, oh, I can see their kitchen or their living room. I'm getting to see who they are. Then we had like their kids screaming in the background and, you know, me, me holding my newborn and, you know, people celebrated that. Now we're kind of, I don't want to say completely through it, but hopefully, fingers crossed. And we're now all talking about hybrid working because even though a number of the banks said, right, everyone back in five days a week, 90 hour weeks, please, sure, Goldman Sachs, um, you know, but they did try that. But I think now all businesses are realizing, well, the masses are saying no. And you've now got this hybrid way of working where some people are in, some people are at home. And you still have the problem with the majority of um, people in positions of hiring power or leadership power allowing their own bias to take over that, well, if you choose to work from home, and I think the way you've asked that question is really, really important because there's a lot of people that don't choose to work from home. In fact, to make things work because they are the main caregiver of their household, they have to work from home. And I think that it's really, really interesting that some of the clients that I worked with who were, who were on the positive side of this, they said, wow, we had a number of part-time staff that are now full-time staff because we're completely fine with them working from home. They always could have been full-time staff, always. But because of our previous way of blockers, you know, blockers in our perception of the world, you know, it, it was only that they were part-timers. What? Because they couldn't work from home. It just feels like we're really holding ourselves back. And there's something that I want us to, to think about. I think this is a recognition problem because, um, there, we had uh, Catherine Goddard of the Bank of England over here in um, the UK. She was quoted saying um, just before Christmas, she said that um, there's going to be two tracks of people's careers. Women are going to be on the second track because a lot of them are working from home and the city is now just full of men. Um, and, and actually, in reality, that's not the case. I think there, there, there is you, you still see and there is vis visibly women within the city at the moment. However, um, 
I think the way that she was quoted was was probably incorrect um, because it's now sent out a message that you know financial services is not inclusive and will not support anybody. Um, but I think what we need to do to drive this forward and to and to to make sure that we move forward positively is actually educate the managers of of the staff because people still recognize what's right in front of them um, and attribute credit to the person that says I did that I'm here I'm updating you I'm in front of you and I think we need to retrain our brains like who actually should we attribute the credit to for this piece of work who is behind this piece of work whose idea was that who is due the promotion who is due the pay rise who is the person that really ran this project and this to me is the is getting the attribution of credit correct and I spoke about this in the book sort of during the pandemic. And I think now it's become even more evident that we have women who, and I hate to make generalizations, but there's a large proportion of women that are not very good at, at being able to say, I did this, self-promotion. Um, and, and I think that self-promotion, we need to support people on. But on the other side, we need to support managers in their understanding of who actually has done the work. And if it is that the largest proportion of your workload has been handled by the individuals that are working from home as a manager, you need to be better to recognize that. So, you know, not wanting to sound too aggressive on that, but I think that the onus cannot only be on the individuals working from home that will be the main caregivers of households. It's not just down to them to self-promote. It's down to managers to really get better at managing and knowing who's doing what within their business and attributing the correct credit to that. So, so my answer really is a call to action. Any, anybody listening to this that, um, that speaks, um, speak to their manager openly, talk about this. Any manager um, within this should be thinking, how do I attribute credit? Is it correct? I think this is a time for self-reflection as well. I agree. And, and I think I'll add on to it too, when we're talking about rewiring the brain, it's also rethinking what is the purpose of the headquarters and the executive team, right? Because for the longest time, and I see it with a few friends of mine who are in big tech industry, where they would celebrate people who work remotely, but ultimately the only ones that end up in the C-suite or the VP execs level, they're all people that are willing to be in the office because they feel like that's how you create that close-knit group of people and the presenteeism that you were just talking about. And I think that so, needs to change. That You're absolutely right. That definitely needs to change because that is just old school thinking. We're supposed to be agile. We're supposed to be innovative. It, you know, it, it, we should be looking at how do we make this work because in the pandemic, when we all had to work from home, it was a level playing field. Now that we've got some people at home and online and others face to face, we have to be innovative to make this work and do this properly. And, you know, it's just it's lazy, really, that we're not there yet. You know, we're just saying, oh, well, it's the people in front of me that and that's a lazy choice. And, you know, there is there's not one CEO out there that would like to consider themselves lazy. So we have to get better at this.
Absolutely, absolutely. So let's look towards the future a little bit.、Um, I, I look at my kids, love them to death. They also challenge me in more ways than not, and how they think and how they act. I would love to believe that the future will be different. That we will have different attitudes towards how we give credit to people, how we work, how we collaborate. If you are able to go back to the past, time travel, or towards the future, whichever way you choose, what would you say to your younger self, knowing what you know right now, or to your future self?、Mm, interesting.、Um, so I think、um, I think in terms of、um, my personality is looking forward because I kind of believe like it's happened and I've made the best I can of it. So looking forward, what will I say to my future self? Actually, I want to be hopeful. I want to be.、Um, I, I want to be. I want to be really focused on driving that hope and turning that hope into a reality. But I'm seeing really good things. So, you know, there's a there's a lovely video that I've I've posted on LinkedIn a number of times, and it's of、um, I think it's Norwegian children,、um, but it's got subtitles on it. And they both, both, both the boys and the girls、um, do do something. They go and pick up balls and put them into into pots. And at the end of their challenge,、uh, the adult、um, joins the video and says, "Right, here's a bag of sweets for the boys. Here's half a bag of sweets for the girls." And the girls are horrified. And why? Why would I be given less? I did the same. And you know what? The boys are horrified as well and start sharing their sweets. And it's a beautiful, beautiful video, which I have to repost again because I can see your your face and your response to this. It's beautiful, but you know what? That to me is where like my hope comes in, but also my addiction to we've got to get this right, and we've got to ignite our allies. Like men, men are not the enemy here on the gender debate. The privileged are not the enemy here on the marginalised debate. This is about igniting the passion of the privileged, not an aggressive, negative way. Igniting the passion of men to look after, look after、uh, equity within their businesses. Um, and I think it's really, really something that excites me when I think about my son and my daughter. I want them both to advocate for one another, and I'm really passionate about the the world becoming becoming that way because we are teaching our next generation to do it right. On top of that, there's、um, a wonderful woman that I quote within the book,、um, Julie Ashmore Dan, the CEO of Rapid Cash. It's、um, a fintech arm of NetWest. And she said that one day she said to her daughter, who was I think like seven or eight at the time, and she said to her daughter, "You can do anything that you want to do." And her daughter turned around and went, "Yeah, of course I can, Mum. Why, why are you saying that to me?" And、um, we laughed about it on the podcast because Julie said, "Wow, that's the next generation. Like, like there's no there's no telling them that you know inequality exists. They're not going to let it happen. And what we've got to do is we've got to really let that." That advocacy, that allyship, that that just like non like not understanding that there's inequality because why should there be and why would there be, but really protect that and make sure we've got things in place so that so that these young girls when they grow into women aren't disappointed. These young boys when they grow into men see that this is what is right and what should be done. I think that's our responsibility right now. So I'm very forward thinking on that, and that's what drives me. I 
100% agree. When I see how my two kids interact with each other, one thing stuck with me. Back a few years ago, um, I think they were reading a history book and they found out that in the old days, girls were not allowed to go to school. And I remember my son's reaction was, but why? That's not fair. Girls should be able to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And it th that that immediate reaction, right? Like you say, this that you know, this is this is not right. I I so hope that us as adults can learn more from kids to mm -hmm. learn how they think, because kids are not born biased. Mm -hmm. They change and we change along the way because we're impacted and influenced by the lived experience of those around us. So let's look towards the kids and we will have a better future. I, I like that hope, hope turning hope into reality. That's yes. a wonderful way to end our conversation. Thank you so much, Nadia. But before we close, can you tell our listeners where they can find your book? Oh, um, anywhere. Um, Amazon is probably the easiest, easiest place for you. Um, and please do read it, give me feedback, review it. Um, it's really, really important to me that anything you hear that I've said today, anything that you read from the book, we turn it into action. And I'm always here to discuss how that, how we can all walk the talk together, not just talk about it, turn it into action, walk that talk. Wonderful. Thank you, Nadia. And everyone, the book again is Fintech Women Walk the Talk, Moving the Needle for Workplace Gender Equality in Financial Services and Beyond. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Nadia. And for the rest of you, thank you for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you all next week.